Hello and welcome to I Migrate the podcast, the show where we'll be sharing the stories and experiences of people who have migrated to the UK from countries across the world. Whether they are escaping conflict in search of education opportunities or looking for adventure, they all share the similar challenge of having to assimilate to a new country and culture. In today's episode, I'll be speaking to a very good friend of mine, Maureen, about her experiences of migrating and living in Italy, Germany, and now she lives in the UK, and how that journey has been. Maureen, welcome, Maureen. Maureen, come on, introduce yourself to us. Hi, thank you, Florence. Thank you for having me. Um, My name is Maureen George, born Maureen Ndonge Musobi from Nairobi, Kenya. And I have lived in England now for, actually not England, I've lived in Europe, let's say for the last about 20 years. So yeah, here I am to tell you my story. Oh, welcome Maureen. It's really a pleasure to have you today. Just briefly, we're going to just think about, you know, just before you moved, for somebody who's never been to Kenya... What can you tell them about Kenya a little bit? We were both born in Kenya, but, you know, everybody, every one of us has got a different perception of what Kenya is. Mm. Kenya is the most beautiful country in the world. I will start that. I might be biased, but I know that. So whenever somebody asks me, like, what, um, what I would say about my country, yes, I would say about the people. We are, re- we are resilient. We are lovely. We are beautiful. We are welcoming you know, and then we just take it easy. And about the country itself, I always say Kenya is like a cocktail. Because if you look at it from northern Kenya, you have a desert. Many people don't know we have the Chalbi Desert up there. We have, um, it looks, we even have dunes. Like people, instead of going to Dubai to dune bash and dune surfing, you can come and do it in Kenya. We've opened up, the areas have been opened up in uh, Turkana. We have the Great Rift Valley. We have snow-capped mountains, Mount Kilimanjaro, Okay, we look at it from our side, but we say it's ours. We have Mount Kenya, which um, I don't know if the snow is enough for skiing up there, but we have snow. We also have the like the flattest land, which is called the plateau, like the Yata Plateau. We have all the volcanic activity that happens in um, in the Rift Valley. We've got beautiful lakes and rivers which attract beautiful birds like uh, the flamingos. We've got the wildlife that is there. Come down to the coast. Kenya coast is actually at zero degrees um, sea level. So that is just wonderful. We've got, And we are actually at the equator. Kenya is cut half by the equator, which means we have perfect weather. So that is what I can say about my country. So if you've never visited Kenya, you're welcome. Come join us. Karibu sana. Oh, thank you, Maureen. Nobody could have solved the country just as I think you should consider, uh, you know, getting to the tourist <laughs> ministry in Kenya. That was really wonderful. Uh, Maureen, what was life like before you moved to Europe? You know, before, you know, just before you just decided, okay, now I'm going to live in Europe. What was your, you know, life for you in Kenya? Well, I would, be, I would say be, I've actually lived a privileged life. Not very privileged, like those rich kids and stuff. Like, we were middle class. My dad had five children, a wife. He was um, owned a tire company, and he was doing really well, brought up 
brought us up in South B. We went to nice schools. I went to Nairobi South Primary School. I would say it's nice. It's a council school, but it is nice. We didn't we didn't go to any private schools, well, except my brother. And um, we lived in South B. We lived in uh, uh, Park Road. So my my life was basically just a normal life, middle class, nothing special, you know, running around barefoot, riding bikes, going to catch tadpoles thinking they are fish, like just the normal life. And um, I had never, th- well, I never thought that I had thought about going to Europe. But I remember once when I was like, I think about seven or six or seven, we were watching telly and on the telly there was this uh, modeling show. And they had all these beautiful models walking up and down the runway. And I used to watch it and I was just mesmerized. I was like, look at those clothes. And I loved Versace. They used to have Versace. It used to come on and I would watch those girls. And I would watch the dresses. I was like, man, I want to do that. I want to go and do this. I want to wear these clothes. I remember thinking about it and I'm saying, this is exactly what I want to do. And I mean, as a kid, you watch, you're fascinated. Another channel comes on. And you go and play, you know, and I just went out and I never thought about it. But as we speak, you'll come to discover that the first European country I went to was in Italy, actually in Milano. That is where I landed some, I don't know, some 15 years later, I landed my, found myself in Milan. So as a child of six years old, I had released a wish or a want to the universe without knowing it, but it came to be. So fashion took you to Europe. Yep, fashion did. I was fascinated. I loved it. And there's one time somebody asked me, so when you were there, were you doing any modeling? Did you do fashion design? I said, no, I just wanted to wear the clothes. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to get involved in the making of the dresses or anything. I just wanted to wear them. Oh, wow. Yep. Oh, that is just, for me, you know, that is just wonderful. But just before you left, you know, before, you know, you landed into Italy, can you just tell us a little bit about your final days just before you left? What was it like? Was the excitement? What was it like for you? So for me, it was it was like an adventure. When I was coming, actually, when I was my first time to come to Italy, I was not coming to live. I was coming to visit the family of my boyfriend. Had an, things just started falling in place. I met this Italian guy in Kenya. We started going out. And that time I was still in university at uh, Kenyatta University. And this was, I think, 1997 is when I met him. I think that was my first time to come to Italy. And yeah, it was exciting. I'm going to Europe. You know, you do the basic, you do the normal stuff, like go and have your hair done in, in Masai uh, Kenyatta market, you know, the long braids. And oh, they said it's going to be cold. So I was like, what do people in cold weather? So he prepared me like with boots and a coat and everything. And yeah, for me, I think it was normal because I was not seeing like it's anything big. I was just looking forward to seeing these clothes and the shoes and the hat bags. I was looking forward to seeing that, you know. So yeah, it was quite, for me, it was it was like it was meant to be. It was like meant to happen. So I didn't have an extra excitement. Nobody came to the airport when nobody hired a bus to come and take me to the to to come and say bye to me at the airport because that's what I used to see people doing. 
You know, when you're going to study abroad, your whole village will come with three buses to come and dance at the airport to say bye-bye to you, you know. So I didn't have that kind of experience. Um, yeah, but it was, it was nice. It was good. So does it mean that you you had experienced a relative or friends going abroad and had all these three buses hired? Were you part, had you been part of that experience before? Oh, yes. Uh, there's a time my sister, my sister had gone to Madagascar. She didn't even go far. She mm. went to Madagascar, but my dad made it a whole massive thing. She was going for a, like a student exchange program to Antananarivo. And I remember the girl who came in exchange uh, with her was called Tina. And that like, there was a big bash in our house and stuff and everybody went to the airport. I remember crying. I mean, she was just going for like, I think it was two months or three months and then she comes back. But it was a big deal because I think it was in the 80s when she went and there was a neighbor of ours in South Beach was called Anita. Anita, oh, she just, she was going to America. She's the first person that we ever knew who was going to study in America. Wow. And this night before she left, there was a big party. The whole estate was there and everybody was seeing Anita. And as usual, she had gone to Kenyatta Market to have her hair braided. You know, we were looking at the suitcases. We were not allowed to touch them or go anywhere near them. You know, and we were saying bye to her. Oh, it was so lovely. And we all went. The father got a bus for the kids of the estate. And that is when I saw buses come to escort somebody to the airport. And uh, the, she was a Luo from the Luo community of Western Kenya. And they were dancing. It was colorful. You know, they gave, they did something until, until it's like she didn't want to go. Like, oh, oh I don't want to go. Oh. You know, but yeah, but that's what used to happen. So, yes, I'd experienced those two people going abroad. You just mentioned there for somebody who doesn't know about a big bash. What is a bash? You know, for somebody listening who doesn't know the word. Wow, big bash. Now, big bash is like a big party. It's a party. You know, in Africa, when we party, we really party. We just don't, like, put on, like, a little bit of music. A party like that has got a live band. Your, not your best live band. Your father's live band will come and play. There's going to be maybe a slaughtered goat or cow. People are going to come in their finery. And yeah, it is just going to be full party. And that day you can drink as many sodas as you want. So yeah, really cool. Oh, wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I remember, yeah, I had a few cars come to the airport when, <laughs> when I left Kenya. No, it was not, not three buses though, uh -huh. but quite a number of cars coming to see to send me off. So I can really relate to that. And I remember those moments, you know, scary it was, but you know, so when you landed um, in Italy, those first moments, what was your experiences? Hmm. This one, I can't believe I have a moment. I really do. So we came, I mean, the aircraft, you know, your ears start blocking. You don't understand what is this which is going on. You're being told to eat a chewing gum or to, 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 to suckle on a sweet and stuff anyway. But I slept. It was fine. So we got off, got on an escalator, which I had never seen before. And we had landed in, I think, was it Fiumicino, I think, or in, in Rome, in Roma, because Milano was not open that time. So we landed in, in, in Rome and we came and picked up the bags, went through the security and everything, which was not so tight like nowadays. And so when the doors opened, now we are going to the car, I was hit by a blast of cold, which I had never felt in my life. For me, it was like entering a freezer. 
I went out, the doors opened, I went out, I felt that, I breathed in, I went back inside. I went back in. So my boyfriend is standing there like, where did she go? I'm just waving from inside. I'm like, hello. <laughs> so he came. He was like, what are you doing? I said, ah, it's cold out there. Did you feel that cold? Is it meant to be that cold? You know, for me, that was a very, very big shock. I mean, coming from a country where you're living at 27 degrees Celsius, you know, this experience of cold. Man, it was cold. It was cold. I told him, I don't know. So it's the, I could not even understand. I thought this cold comes maybe in pockets. There's somewhere you're going to go. It's going to be warm. But it's the whole country. It's like that. That was really shocking for me. So when we got in the vehicle, I remember coming home, meeting his mom. To me, their house was freezing. It was cold. Aki, she was so nice. She went, she pulled the fridge. You know that the fridge at the back is warm. She pulled the fridge and put a chair for me there to sit no. to get warm. Yeah, but I got used to it. But that was my first experience at the airport. Nice. Yeah. So you remember the very well your first experience into Italy. What about when you landed into Germany? What was your first experience then and the UK? Because you've got all that experience of having lived in the three yeah. different countries. Yeah. So when, when I went first time to Germany was actually during that period when I'd come to Yeah, during that period when I'd come to visit, the second time, I think 1998, sometime in April, it was actually cold again, you know, but we drove. We drove from um, Bergamo in northern Italy to Berlin, Germany, because my sister was living in Germany. And <laughs> we went there. So, I mean, I didn't have like the flight experience, but we drove. The roads were so beautiful. No potholes, no overspeeding, lights everywhere. It was fantastic. It was so good. I was just like, Wow. You know, where is this? It looks like they had TV screens on the highways because they have all these screens that have got, like, they, they tell you the, the speed limit and things like that. I didn't know what those were, mm. you know, and it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. You drive so far without seeing a pothole. Wow. And the cars were going so fast. You know, you have, like, three lanes. Everybody's just in an orderly fashion. That, that, was, that was incredible for me because I remember even when we were driving... <laughs> Germany, um, there was this word, mm. Ausfahrt, mm. on the highway. Ausfahrt. Every time we go, we say Ausfahrt. Every time we go, Ausfahrt. Let me tell you guys, if you don't know something, ask. Otherwise, you're going to sit there suffering, trying to figure it out. Because I sat there trying to figure out what this name Ausfahrt means. Mm. And in my mind, I was like, ah, even my German is not so bad. So I know at least big, I'd heard of big cities in Germany, like Berlin, Dresden, Dusseldorf, Munich. You know, I'd heard about this. But I said, wait, where is this town called Ausfahrt? You know? So we drove. Then I asked my boyfriend, I said, Harvey, tell me, which town is this called Ausfahrt? Man, he almost crashed. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? He had to stop, like, on the, on the service lane. Mm. He burst out laughing. I said, why are you laughing? He said, Ausfahrt means exit. Oh. It was the exit from the highway. This is exit, exit. But for me, and then I was like, then why do they write it so big? Because it's written like Ausfahrt, like it's shouting in your face. It's so big. I was like, wow. It's either a big town called Ausfahrt, which I don't know about, mm. or all roads lead to Ausfahrt. You know? But I, I just, didn't know. It exit. meant exit. Mm. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, 
Oh, I've learned yeah. I've learned something there. Exit. So <laughs> that's something to look out for when I go to Germany, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, Maureen, you speak fluent Italian. Yep. And fluent German. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that, because I find that very fascinating. I've had interesting stories. How did you first come to learn Italian? And then what was your journey to learn German? So uh, Italian, well, <laughs> you say I'm fluent. Okay, I understand a lot. I am. Actually, I'll say I'm fluent. Let me not take points from myself. So um, in Italy, when I came the first time, I couldn't speak a word. I only knew spaghetti. Uh, what else did I know? Mozzarella or something. Very few Italian words of things. So, um, I mean, these Italians, like on Sundays, have like a very, like always it's family. So it's uncles, aunties, sisters, brothers, their kids. They have this big table and they're sitting and they're having lunch. And then after lunch, normally they would sit down and watch Formula One. So at this lunch table, uh, there was uh, my boyfriend's grandmother. We used to call her Nona Maria. And Nona Maria, she loved me. We cannot understand each other, but she used to tell me, come, come and sit here next to me. So when I go and sit next to her, she'll grab her handbag from under the table looking around. And then she'll, she'll like show me, like, look at this, look at her, what I have for us. The smallest, most cutest bottles of bottle of Baileys I had ever seen. She'd be like, okay. So I say, okay, now we are getting somewhere, you know. <laughs> and then she's talking to me, but I cannot answer back. I don't know. And me, I like, I like talking. I like conversing with people. I like communicating. And language is important. So when I went back to Kenya, I actually went to an Italian school uh, for six months, which I did not tell them that I'm studying Italian. And the next time I went to Italy, I was sitting at the table and they are talking. When they laugh, I laugh. You know, when they do this, I do. And Nona Maria was looking at me. She was like, ah, 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 ah. Lei parla italiano, lei capisce. Said, oh, this, this one, she can speak Italian. She understands Italian. So everybody was looking at me like, really? Oh, and then I started speaking Italian, you know. So I actually learned Italian so that I could communicate with Nona Maria. And I thank God I did because she's, she had stories. I used to sit with her with a dictionary. In those days there was no Google. So you sit down with a proper dictionary, which was one side Italian and one side English. And she'd say a word and I would translate and like that. And I learned it from Nona because... There was no other way. It is just me and her in the house and her little bird, you know. And then we'd walk to the cemetery to go and visit her husband. So I learned a lot from her as we were just doing our day-to-day things, you know, going into the bakery. And then she'll give me the money and then she'll tell me, go buy bread. How are you going to order for bread? You know, she gives wow. you the money. She tells you, go to the supermarket, get some coffee, get this, get that. You know, so I just learned by living. That's wow. how I learned my Italian. That is amazing. So did it take you long to, because, you know, having lived in Kenya, whereby it was predominantly English speaking, and I know we speak Swahili, I know we've got our tribal language. Yes. Yeah. So was it daunting to learn Italian? No, not at all. I, mm. I always say that I think Africans, we are already born with such an advantage and we should be proud of our languages. Because when you're born, you're born speaking, you're going, you're going to speak Mother tongue, you're going to speak Swahili, which is our national language, and you're going to learn English, which is the language of instruction and the official language in Kenya. So automatically you have three. Mm. One, English, you're learning in school. Swahili is your play language with your friends outside. And mother tongue is your, you know, your mother, your brother, your uncles, you know, they speak that. So we, we are already born with, 
with a way of seeing languages you know quickly like i can think i can think in italian right now you know and it will not i can change from one language to the other just like that you know because i think i think i have that in me as well and i no it was not difficult for me to learn it was actually because i had the interest of speaking to nona maria mm. and i had mm. the in- i had to learn because i wanted to go and find these dresses Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anything to get me near these dresses, anything to get me near a fashion show, anything. What if I met Versace and he wanted to speak to me and I, I cannot speak I'm blabbering there. No. You've got to learn the language. I think I'm these people, even I was telling my husband the other day, if we move to China or Taiwan or Vietnam, Wherever you just take me into a village I will be there and believe me in six months I'll be speaking that language I may not speak it fluently but I will get that language why because I'm interested in communicating I'm interested in listening to stories from older people like you know grandfathers who were in the war and stuff like that mothers they tell you their their cultural stories aunties children you learn from kids when they are playing you learn a lot of vocabulary from children so I think because I'm I'm a, I'm a social being and I love being out there. I think I would any language I think if you put me in it and I have to be in there, I will learn it. Oh, that's wonderful, Maureen. Maureen, um I was just thinking, you know when you moved to Italy and even uh, Germany, were there any big cultural misunderstandings and differences that occurred in the first few years living there? Well, me the only thing that shocked me once Well, coming from 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 Kenya, Italy, <laughs> who are sitting and having coffee in a like a small coffee shop in a piazza somewhere square, I'm having this coffee, and this guy, I'm sitting with my boyfriend. You know, though you respect boyfriend, it's like husband. This guy walks, looks at me, winks at me, and he comes directly to where I am, totally ignoring my boyfriend, and he, he proceeds to tell me how beautiful I am. Please, this is my card. Call me. Oh. And he walks off. I almost dove into my coffee. I was like, "What? You know that you want to hide under the table?" I was like, "What was that?" That is not our culture. Italian men when they like something they will go for it. They 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 come. And they will tell you regardless of whether you're with your husband or I don't know who. You know, it's crazy. I I didn't know. I was like I was in total shock when he did that. And my boyfriend didn't seem shocked at all. And I was like So you're just going to sit there. You're going to sit there and let him now like walk away like that. Me, my Africanness now started to boil because I'm like, what sort of boyfriend is this who is not going to fight for you? You know? And then we actually got into an argument. Me, I didn't talk to him until the way home. I mean, we got home. I didn't because I felt like this guy has not fought for me. So for me, because if you did that when there was an African man, my, there will, hey, there's going to be a fight. fight. You will know that that is his woman. But this one, totally. So that's... Italy I didn't have any really the Italians are like Africans really they are very social they are you know they like talking communicating dancing you know so I didn't find a lot of difference in um, in 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 in, uh, in Italy but in Berlin <laughs> this one this one shocked me wow even they have a day to celebrate it it was called the Christopher Street Day now what's Christopher, so Christopher Street Day is a day celebrating gay people And you know where we come from? Gay? No. It's not even a word. It doesn't even exist. In fact, in those days, 
You know, nowadays it's okay, it's here, we are with it. But that time, there was nothing. You can't even, phantom, how? Mm. So, my friend told me, let's go, there's a, there's a festival. And I went and there were lots of people on the street. And then I started noticing. Some of these people are almost naked. They're walking around in a very transparent clothing, very short shorts. Some shorts even without a, the bottom is cut off. Others are walking in G-strings. Others are walking in a bra that is made of metal. You can see the whole boob. It was crazy. It was crazy. I was just in shock. I sat down somewhere in a park and watched. You know, they had these uh, big uh, lorries, these trucks, and they come and they have people dancing on them and drinks and loud music. I was so shocked. I couldn't move. Mm. Now I know better. Mm. You know, now I know better. But that was really shocking for me. That was the first culture shock that I got. The other one is like people saying that uh, they're skinheads and things like that, but I never had uh, a very bad experience. But I met a skinhead once, mm -hmm. but he was by himself and I had been warned that if you see a guy, no hair, wearing black, black boots with white laces, don't approach, cross the road, run away, you know, things like that. But me, I was lost. I got on a train and it went in the wrong direction, or I rather I got on the wrong train got up and there was this guy, there was nobody else. So I asked him, I was like, actually, I approached said, excuse me, I think I'm lost. I was going to this place and this place. And he's looking at me like, himself, he was shocked. Like, what is she doing, <laughs> you know? So we spoke and he showed me, told me, oh, you go back, you get this train, get this line color. And then he told me, excuse me. And next time, if you see somebody who looks like me, don't talk to them, especially when there are many. Don't speak to somebody who looks like me. And then that's when it hit me, oh, you know, I looked at him and that's when I looked, really, this is what I've been want about, you know. But he wasn't rude to me. He, in fact, he showed me the way. He helped me out. So for, so for somebody who doesn't know or who don't know what Skinhead is and was just listening to us, what had you been told or what did you find out what it means or what would have been right or wrong not to approach the person. Yeah, so the thing, what, you know, Germany has this history of uh, Hitler and Nazis and uh, them not liking colored people, thinking they are the superior race and things like that. Okay, it finished with the Second World War, it ended, but there are still people who have been born today and they have been brought up in that kind of mentality. So because they cannot call themselves Nazis, I think it's illegal. So I think they start, they start just being called skinheads they start having just funny, funny names and, and, and ways of identifying themselves, you know. So if so, the people know, then that's why they dress differently. So that when you see them, they are, they are standing out and you as a black person should not go anywhere near them. You're not even black. I think Asian, me, I'm speaking from a black perspective because I'm a black woman. But really, I think if, you, if you're not German, just stay away. Stay away. You can get injured. You know, you can get in, they can be really terrible. And I think what I, because I, I thought about this guy, he, he gave me directions and everything. If he had this hatred in his heart, he couldn't have, he could have even slapped me or gotten rid of me or done something to me, but he didn't do anything. So that's why sometimes I think probably peer pressure, you know, when, when you're many of them and then they feel they have strength or whatever, but I don't know. The, me, he didn't. So whenever I used to see people like that, I would just like cross the street now because now I became aware. I was not aware. I was very innocent. Even mm. when I was speaking to him, I was not aware because that is not what I was looking for. Mm. I, I'm not brought up 
to mm. see differences in people. Mm. Me for me this was just a person. Mm. You mm. know? Mm. But they were all the signs were there and himself he confirmed to me. Mm. So be careful next time don't talk to somebody who looks like me. All right? Oh. I listened. Oh. 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 This is really interesting. This is for me this is I'm I'm learning even more about Europe. Uh, Maureen. Maureen, what about now? Now we are sitting in Cheltenham. We're in Cheltenham. Uh, we haven't talked about your travels to the UK and how you ended up being in Cheltenham and how life is for you having now moved from Kenya, Italy, Germany and now we find you find yourself in Cheltenham. Go on. I know it's crazy. People ask me where you come from. I'm just like, mm, I think I'm a child of the universe. Because if I think I'm born in Kenya, I lived in Italy and Germany, now living in the UK. I'm a black girl, I'm wearing Brazilian hair. Like I'm touched by the whole world, aren't I? So I just say like I'm a child of the universe. So um I lived in Germany for I think 7 years. I got married. Mm-hmm. I, I met uh, so my other boyfriend Italian we were no longer together but I met another Italian Gilmar he's called, he was called Gilmar Marco and we got married in 2003 when we were living in Berlin mm-hmm. and unfortunately he passed away in 2007 and yeah so as life was going on I met it, it must be a man isn't it I met a British guy very nice fellow I was like man I can actually live in a country without even learning the language I already know the language here you know so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so we started going out and um I was just like no I've never thought about living in Britain that country rains all the time I don't know why I was complaining a lot and he said no why don't you come you know and I don't know that day god was on his side because when I landed in London we were staying at Mayfair It was the sunniest four days ever in England. <laughs> well, apart from lockdown 2020, it was beautiful, beautiful. There was not a dra- drop of rain anywhere. Mm-hmm. The, there were no clouds. It was amazing. I went around London, the palaces and everything. It was beautiful. And he knew, he knew what to do. Because he knows me, I like the beach. So he took me to Beachy Head. I don't know what they are called. Those, where those white cliffs are, the cliffs. White cliffs went all that side. Then we came down, we passed through Cheltenham. He told me, oh, I was thinking of living in this town. And it was the prettiest, most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Such a, It's like you've walked into those old movies. You're just waiting to see horses ride by, you know? So beautiful. And they had all this. I remember on the streets, they had hanging baskets of the most beautiful flowers. I was like, oh, this is so cute. It was so nice. And then when he saw I liked it, He walked into the into the estate agents mm. and he said oh we are looking for an apartment we're looking I'm just looking with who <laughs> why me I'm just here visiting you know so yeah he ended up uh, getting an apartment and stuff and I started coming more to 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 England but I was not sure I was not sure because this weather uh uh-uh, now it started changing on me you know mm. but it was too late love had already happened so <laughs> Yeah, packed up my things and moved to Cheltenham and now I've been in Cheltenham for what 13 years now. Wow. Yeah, I don't know where the time has gone. That is amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. So if you're looking at your life now, look, just think about you now. If you're talking to a younger version of yourself, what would you tell her? Enjoy the ride. Mm. Enjoy. Mm. 
honestly, I'll just tell her, enjoy the ride. Because honest, to be honest, I've never been worried about where I'm going to sleep, what I'm going to eat. I don't know finances because I've never wanted a lot. I've never wanted to be richer than thou. You know, me, as long as I have a roof over my head and I'm eating my nice just food, I, I, I don't ask for so much. I'll just, I'll just tell her, enjoy, mm. you know, mm. and, and, and do, do the things that you want to do mm. when you want to do them and at that time, because if not now, when? Mm. In, fact, that, in fact, that's how I should have started. I should have just told, I would just tell her, listen, keep asking yourself when your opportunities come, when things come, you're going to travel, you're going to see the world. Just ask yourself, if not now, when? Don't wait. Don't wait to do something tomorrow or the next day or whatever, because it's opportunity. Just take it. Yeah. And Maureen, you are the same as me. I know you support young kids in your village and um one thing i just i would love you to talk about is the three cows two cows farm community sports <laughs> yes there you are <laughs> come on tell us about the two cows community farm yeah. community sports yeah. um so before that before we started the two cows community sport i had built a small nursery school in our village because there was this little boy who um used to be like sidelined by all the other kids in the village. He was always following me behind. So I asked, who is this kid? His mom had just died. His dad was a truck driver who doesn't care, you know. And we asked this kid, take us to your school. I think he was about three years old then. So he took us to his school. We were so shocked. The school was made of mud. It was almost falling. The holes looked like somebody had put bullets through it, you know. Mm. And we just, like, it just touched my heart. So we decided to go and build a school. We built them a school. And yeah, he was safe. And be, and this little boy, I just like took him. It's like adopted him. He's actually this year doing his form four. Very nice. Yes. He's doing his form four. He's doing really well. And um, so after that, I started going to the village a lot, spending time in the village. And I noticed that kids don't, as much as you have farmland around, kids don't have somewhere where they can congregate and like t- play team sports and just be children all the time. They're either taking care of cattle, they're just doing chores, they're sweeping, they're the ones being sent to do work on the farms and stuff. And I was just like, no, these kids need to play. Mm-hmm. So I cleared a piece of land somewhere, put up corpus, bought a few balls and some uniforms. And we decided, okay, so what are we going to do? Let's, get, let, let's give these kids somewhere where they can play like on a Saturday and a Sunday you know, for them to be kids. So I spoke to the parents and told them, look, if you can allow me, let these kids come to my farm where I've cleared a piece of land for them. Let them play from four to six. It's only two hours. But give them the chores to do earlier. When they finish, around 3.30, release them to come and play. And I, and I explained to the parents why I wanted that to happen. You know, many kids are being lost nowadays in villages and stuff. They are being taken uh, to selling drugs, to alcoholism, to th- stealing, to very bad, to vices in, in the community. So I thought if I brought these boys together, and they're mostly are boys, if you brought them together and made them feel a sense of unity and a sense of community, if they see somebody who is not from them, or from their area, talking to another child, then they can get involved and they can feel it easier to go and ask this kid if they have something 
in common mm. you mm. know so we play ball together we are a team mm. so you feel easier like to go and ask that boy excuse me who is that you are talking to do you know him what was he telling you so even the other boys the bigger boys can intervene or you know they help they just feel they have a sense of community and so that's when we we started that took us farm and it's doing well kids are still playing football although we left the farm where we are we are, we are on another piece of land but yeah they are meeting even yesterday they had a match and uh, they are winning some village tournaments oh yes so yeah they're doing great they're doing good so despite moving across europe having lived to all these different countries um is giving back you know especially in kenya a very important part of you you, uh, you do you feel like the connection with kenya i mean you know my work here and the work i do in kenya and i know you are also involved quite a lot yeah. heavily in the you know welfare of young people and children just as much so is is it really important part of of you it's i think if anything it is the most important thing of me you know and i don't i wouldn't even call it giving back i'll just call it giving because i i don't i'm not those people who left their motherland and just went and decided you have left everything you know back there i i i know there are people who came because there's wars in their countries they came because there was a lot of negativity maybe they had problems in their own uh, villages but how many villages are there in in africa in kenya surely if if your your parents and you live in western kenya brought you problems blah, 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 and you still want to have a connection with kenya and you have some money build your own other place go to to Mombasa go to Makueni go to Kisi you know you can start something at home if you feel you have that attachment you don't have to give back to your community where you were born where your parents were born there are there are children who are suffering there are people who need help so i think if somebody has that in their heart they can do it you know for me it's more it's more of who i am you can take me out of africa but you cannot take africa the africanness out of me there is no way so and i am fully and totally kenyan i think i dream in kenyan i i live here but i think 50% of me is in kenya you know so yeah that's so are you happy that you made the decision to move and live in the different country ah uh, yes and no I could say yes and no. Do I regret? No, that was the path that was cut out for me, you know. But the first the, the thing is I think the way I love my country why then did I move? Why given the opportunity of being in my country with the opportunities that were, that are out here, you know there are jobs, there are you see there are things that are looking like nice things instead of wanting to go to europe because of nice clothes why didn't we have them already at home you know would have been would have been much much nicer if i could have just stayed in my roots you know and um europe can be a very lonely place to be it is nice it's beautiful i love it it's okay but it can be a very lonely place to be because you come here like chelnam or whatever you you're living there but how many times do you get to see somebody like knock on your door come and have a cup of tea without an appointment how often do you get to see people you know people are so busy people are so busy working they are so busy doing other things seeing people and you know as guys we are we are such 
social beings. Like at home, when you're sitting under your tree, a neighbor is passing by. They'll just pop in like, hi, how are you? You know, and you have a little chat. They drink a cup of tea. They go, you know, but here, that is what I miss. So does he mean, do you make, are you planning to make UK your home forever? Or where are you with this? <laughs> ah, where am I with this? I'm still, I'm still evolving. I think when you live somewhere for 13 years, you can call it home. Mm-hmm. It is home. But is it home, home? Mm. It is home, but is it home, home? That is what I struggle with. So, but as long as I have the opportunity to be able to visit my country for as long as I want, until that, car, that, that, that feeling is finished, and then I feel, okay, I can go back, then I'm fine. But is it, you know, that's very interesting, because is it about identity? Because I know I've lived here for a long time. I've lived here for over 30 years. And being at home is still something that I yearn for and I miss. But as well, I've become who I am because I've lived here for this time. So I'm a product of the world, as we, as you mentioned earlier. Is it something to do that with our identity and our integration and assimilation in the environments that we live in? That we have this thing that we still yearn for this other place. What do you think? I think as long as, you know, there's a lady, a friend of my now husband, who has lived, she's British, she's from Ifsham, and her and her husband have lived in Australia for 40 years or something, or even longer, probably. And she was here a couple of years ago and we were having a talk. And she was just like, and, and my husband's son had gone to had gone to Australia for a bit and uh, the dad had called the, his, the friend and said, could you just take care of him because he's getting a bit homesick? And her comment was, I have lived in Australia for 40 years and I am always homesick. You know? So it's, 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 I think it's everybody who uproots. That is uprooting. Mm. You know, you uproot, but it's like there's a small root left there. Mm. There's still a space for you. Mm. So no matter how long you live where, as long as, even though you call it home, mm. as long as there's somewhere you came from, or mm. if you came when you are already a grown-up, when mm. already your mind was ingrained, you know, you know where you came from, you've had the experiences, you know, you can remember home, you can remember the tastes, the smells, the laughter, you can remember all that, mm. then the, you will always miss that feeling of home. But mm. if you were born there and you came here as a small baby, you don't remember, that could be very different. Mm. You will identify as here, you know. Maureen, I, I, we've worked together, you know, in the last year, and I think there's a lot more that we can talk about. I think we've just touched the surface today. We've just dipped into different subjects, and it would really be great for us to just pick a topic and, you know, have this conversation. But is there anything else you'd like to share about your migration stories just overall? to anybody who's listening to this specific podcast that we can leave them with? Yeah, I just think, um, if I think about why somebody has to migrate, you know, there are many reasons. I would say I came to Europe by choice. So like when they stood, when one time there was an election here and they had a campaign and they say the immigrants, you know, like the immigrants, the immigrants are coming, the immigrants are coming. I was like, no. You're calling them immigrants and you're showing us pictures of refugees. You know, those are refugees. There's a difference. These people are running away from conflict. They are running away from, from dangerous places in their, in their lives. So I think 
people should be more kind. People should be more friendly and compassionate. Honestly, I don't know and I don't understand how a human being can stand up and say, I own this place. This place is mine. You are not allowed to come. And you actually, even when you were born, that place existed. So how then do you call it? This is my country. This is my place. This is my, 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 you know, I think we should open up and share. And if somebody comes to your country, just the way if they come to your home, if the way they come to your continent, welcome them, you know, welcome people and understand that people are coming from very different backgrounds. There are people who are people and every day somebody is going through stuff, you know, get to know people, get to know people's stories. And that's why we are sharing these stories, you know, get to know people's stories, get to know their backgrounds, get to open up, be, be welcoming, be compassionate and be kind. Above all, anything that anybody can do, at least people can be kind. That's all. Thank you so much, Maureen. That has been wonderful. And I really hope that you will come back again and we carry on this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to I Migrate the Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please share with a friend or subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can even write a review. Thanks, and we'll see you next episode. I Migrate the Podcast is hosted by Florence Nusamo. It is produced by Tyra at Foss Creative Studio and is brought to you by Lives of Colour. <laughs>